Father, thank you, God, Lord, for allowing us to worship you. Thank you for this amazing time that we've had just to sing your praises. God, I know sometimes uh, we feel, you're in the middle of the week, God, we feel empty and alone. God, we feel like we are having to do this all by ourselves. This life is not easy. There are many difficulties that come our our way each and every day of our life, and God, I know we just need this on a Wednesday night to remind ourselves of who you are and the fact that you are indeed close to us. You're not a distant God, but you're a personal God, one who knows every desire of our heart, God, one who knows every struggle in our life, God, one who loves us so deeply. God, thank you for reminding us of that tonight. Thank you so much for being here in our presence as we've lifted up praises to the King of Kings. Lord, now be glorified now as we look and see what your word has to say to us, God, as it is a mirror to our souls. God, I pray that we just uh, we allow ourselves God, to just be engrossed in your word right now, God, so that we can be changed forever, just like we sung in this song, God, forever. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right. Yeah, that's, that's worthy of applause, right? Yeah. I, I asked for water, and it came. Like rain from heaven, water came. Uh, thank you so much to the people that love me and really don't want my mojo to be thrown off. So It's not mojo. It's not what it is. It's the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit uh, doesn't need water. He is water, right? He's living water. Anyway, I could go on and on about a bottle of water, but uh, let's continue in our series in Romans. We've been in Romans uh, for a few weeks now. Last week we were in Romans chapter 5, and tonight we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. You say, Kenny, why did we skip three chapters? It's not so much that these chapters aren't worth us going through. That's not at all the case. Um, I just know that your attention span is only so long, okay? Uh, that's the reality uh, is that sometimes, uh, you know, we get in a series and we're there and like, yeah, I get it. And then you're like, but you told us that last week. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> but you told us that the week before. Yeah, I get it. Um, there are some of these chapters uh, that really do drive home some principles to us. Uh, and it's not that they aren't worth driving home because they are. Trust me, they are. Uh, but, but there's some different topics I want us to cover as we go through Romans so that you can see some different perspectives, some different ways of looking at some crucial things that deal with our salvation. Because that's what Romans is all about. It's about understanding principles about salvation. Uh, the people living in Rome, that Paul's writing to this church in Rome, and, and, and most of these folks are probably Jews, and he's telling them about what it means to be saved. He's telling them the principles of salvation. And here we kind of kind of switch gears a little bit from the first seven chapters really talking about who we are as redeemed people. Um, this is in chapter 8, we get to just kind of how it's sealed, how our salvation is sealed, if you will, how it is confirmed, how it is like not only does God save us, but he also implants in us the Holy Spirit, which is what we're going to be talking about tonight so that we can walk in that salvation. We can no longer be slaves to sin, but we can be slaves to righteousness now. We don't have to be bound by sin. We've been set free from sin. So now not only has he set us free from it, but he also helps us to be able to walk in it. 
And that is like, I don't know about you, but that's mind-blowing to me that not only would God pull us out of that pit, but he also gives us feet to walk as we go out and we go and try to live in this world that's so difficult to live in, that's surrounded by sin. And even the fact that we, though our soul is redeemed, our, our soul is surrounded by this flesh that is not yet redeemed, okay? That we still struggle against the flesh. And the spirit that, allow, that God has put inside of us allows us to battle with that flesh and, and allows us to get, he gives us the choice to either follow the flesh, flesh or follow the spirit. And the spirit is there like rooting for us, if you will, like inside us, showing us the way that we should go, showing us how we should do things, convicting us of things that we did wrong. And, and it's God's way of giving us, if you will, a promise that, that one day you will be rid of this flesh. That, that one day the flesh will die and you will have the spirit and it will be able to do nothing but please God. I, I have a friend of mine. He was talking about he, he has a, a young son and uh, his son had done something wrong. And I don't know if this was his way of trying to bail himself out by talking about spiritual things and talking about the things of God. And you, his dad wouldn't be mad at him or he'd be less mad at him if he started talking about Jesus. I don't know if you've ever pulled that card, but that works sometimes, uh, the Jesus juke a little bit. When all else fails, say Jesus, and it'll you know, help you out. So uh, th- this kid, he goes, he had done something wrong, and his dad was pretty mad at him, and, and his dad told me about this. He said, his son looked at him and said, Dad, why do I continue to sin? He said, I don't want to, but I continue to. Why is that? And his dad looked at him, I mean, you know, so then his dad has to go to Romans chapter 7 and say, you know, why do I continue to do the things I know I shouldn't do, and why do I not do the things I know that I should do? You know, so his dad has to, like, have this whole doctrinal uh, conversation with his son and say, son, until you get rid of this flesh, you will continue to sin and you will continue to struggle against sin. That's the way that it is. But there is coming a day when you won't have to battle against the flesh, that you'll be rid of the flesh, and you'll just be able to follow the Spirit, and you won't have to deal with that struggle anymore. Uh, so I think that was a good card that the kid played, you know. Let's talk about sin. Let's talk about Jesus, and maybe that'll get me out of trouble. Uh, I, I see Ethan back there going, that's a good one. I'm going to remember that one. So... Uh, yeah, you play that card sometime, Ethan. So here we are in Romans chapter 8, and we start out on a very good note. Um, I, I, I love Romans chapter 8. If you're going to memorize a passage, memorize like the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 8, because it starts out with there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power that sin, of sin that leads to death. Okay, here he's saying that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, for those that belong to Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. I don't know if you realize how foundational that is for us as Christians. And if you're not a Christian, I hope you realize the gravity of that. And the fact that if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christ follower, if you don't belong to Christ Jesus, then you're going to suffer condemnation. And I don't know if you've read enough in the Bible or heard enough in the Bible about what the condemnation is, but it's a very, very bad thing to be separated from God for all of eternity. It's in a place called hell. 
To be eternally separated from the goodness of God is condemnation. That is the wrath of God that you deserve in your sin place that you're in if you do not profess Jesus Christ as Lord. If you do not belong to Christ Jesus, you deserve condemnation. You will receive condemnation. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, who belong to Christ Jesus, we will suffer no condemnation. Now, everybody's like, Kenny, I remember like reading somewhere or hearing some preacher somewhere say that, that there's going to be like a judgment, right? There's going to be like, at the end, when God comes back, and there's going to be like this whole judgment thing. Let me tell you about that. So it is not a judgment of condemnation at that point in time for those that are in Christ Jesus. But I heard that, I stole this from somewhere. I hear stuff, and I like soak it in. So I stole this from somebody. I'll put that on the podcast. I don't know who I stole it from. If you're one of the famous preachers I listen to and you recognize I stole this from you, uh, you can call me up. I'll be happy to repent and tell everybody who it was. He said, it is, not, it is not a judgment of condemnation, but a judgment of commendation. Everybody's like, oh, that's good. What, what does that mean? A judgment of commendation means that what you have done in the flesh and how you will be rewarded in heaven for the things that you have done while you were in the flesh. Uh, you, you recognize that when somebody gets a medal, when they get a medal put on in the military or something, they call it a commendation, right? So it's a, a reward, a recognition of what you've done in the flesh. So those that belong to Christ Jesus will not receive condemnation, but they will receive a commendation when the final judgment happens, right? So he'll look and see what you have done, see how you've lived according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. If you've done the things that please God and that God desires, you will get a commendation, at that point in time. For those that belong to Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Very foundational truth to us as believers. He says, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power that leads to death. What is this power that leads to death? It's the power of the flesh. Uh, the wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible says, is that that, that what you earn, if you live according to the flesh, is that you deserve death. That's where, that's where it leads. That's, that's what you have been set free from, is that power that leads to death. Now you've been given life through what? Through the Spirit. Now the Spirit is not an it. He's a he. Okay? You, you can grieve the Spirit. He, the, the Spirit prays for you. The Spirit listens to you and, and responds to God when you can't even speak. The Spirit is able to respond and talk, and you can grieve Him. You can talk to Him. You can worship Him just like He is God the Father or God the Son in Christ Jesus. You can worship the Spirit. You see, God has revealed Himself in three persons. We call it the Trinity. That's a big, fancy name for God in three different people, three different distinct people. Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And as God has revealed himself in all three of those persons, you can worship him, you can speak to him, you can address him as a he in each one of those three persons. You don't refer to God as it, do you? You, you don't refer to Jesus as it, do you? No. You refer to him both as he, and thus you should refer to the Spirit as he. Now, we did a whole series on the Holy Spirit, didn't we? And we talked about who he was and what he does and 
how awesome he is and how he came and all this kind of stuff into the disciples. And we talked about flaming tongues of fire and how amazing that must have been and how they were able to do supernatural things because of the Holy Spirit when he came in. And here we see that the Spirit, he himself, has set us free from death. It's our seal, if you will. It's our guarantee, if you will, that we have been set free from death. It's a beautiful thing. And, and let's, So this passage in Romans chapter 8 is all about the Spirit and what He does and how He works and what He has done. So we see here, it says in verse 3, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Now we've got to get into our sinful nature and talk about the law. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies uh, we sinners have. So what is he talking about the law? Like 613 laws of Moses. Like all of these different things that, that you were supposed to do to, to, like, to be good with God, to be right with God, to obtain righteousness. That's how you did it. You, you like, if you keep all of these, then you'll be good, right? And here Paul's saying, Paul's saying, you've been set free from that law because the law, there, there's no way that you could keep the law. There's no way that you could keep all of those individual things. No way that you could do all of those things to be made right with God. There's no way that you could do it as a human being. Because of what? Why could I not do all of those things? Why could I not do all those things in the law of Moses so that I could be made right with God? It's because of one thing. The sinful nature. See, he's making a distinction here. He's telling us what the sinful nature is. What, what is the sinful nature? It's the flesh. It's all the things inside of you that, that, that pulls you towards sin, that pulls you towards the things that, that the flesh desires. The lust of the flesh is what a lot of church people like to call it, right? It's the things that, that, that you know are against God, and you know that God hates, but you're pulled that direction anyway. That is the sinful nature. That is the flesh that we struggle with. He said, because of that sinful nature, if you, if you were to just try to keep the law yourself, there's no way you can do it. Why? Because that sinful nature, that pull towards the other direction, away from the law, would keep you from it. So what did he do? So God fixed the situation. How, how did he do it? He put Christ Jesus in flesh like you and I have. He, he put Christ Jesus in the same kind of bodies that you and I have. You know, God has revealed himself in three persons. Like I said, he came in the form of his son in a fleshly body like you and I have. But, but, he didn't have the desires of the flesh. He didn't have the sinful nature. Why? Because he was perfect. If you, what did I say a minute ago? If you got rid of the flesh, you could be perfect because you'd be rid of all the things of the flesh and you would just have the, the, uh, the, the spirit of God living. You would just still have your spirit then you wouldn't have the desires of the flesh. Jesus came in the form of flesh, but he didn't have the sinful nature. He didn't have that sin nature. But what did God do? What did God do in that? God punished Jesus, who didn't have the sinful nature, like he had a sinful nature. Why? Why did he do that? Paul's trying to drive this, this point home to us. He, he's saying... He made his son just like you, except for the fact that he didn't have the sinful nature. 
Why? So that he could treat you and I like we could keep all the laws of Moses, like we could keep all those individual commandments, like we could be perfect. Because he was perfect, but he had flesh. And we're imperfect in the flesh, and he treated him like we should be treated. It's exactly what Paul says. Let's go on to read what else he says. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He said, I'm going to punish my son like all of you deserve to be punished. And what is that going to do? My son that I put in the flesh, I'm going to punish him like, like all of you deserve to be punished. It's going to set you free. In that, in his punishment, it's going to set you free. It's going to make you like you never sinned. It's going to make you have a new nature. Because of that spirit that's about to come and dwell inside of you when you belong to Christ Jesus. See, I'm going to change your nature. I'm going I'm to change who you are on the inside. This is remarkable stuff, man. It blows me away to sit there and think about the fact that Christ Jesus coming in, in, in flesh so that God could punish him for being in flesh even though he didn't have the sinful nature. And that's what God chose to do for you and I. Why? So that we could be set free. He did this so that the just requirement of the law will be fully satisfied for us. It's satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. You've been set free, so you don't have to follow that sinful nature anymore. Instead of leaning constantly towards the flesh because he gave you a new nature, because he gave you a spirit, you can now lean towards what the spirit desires, the things of God. I mean, he is God, so if we lean towards the spirit, then we're leaning towards God. If we're leaning in towards, towards the spirit that he's put inside of us, then we're automatically drawn towards the things of God. He did that so he could set us free and he had to satisfy the requirements of the law. The requirements of the law, if you sin, the requirements say, say that you should die. So what did God do? He said, we're going to satisfy those requirements and we're going we're to make a sacrifice in the place. And Christ is going to die. My son is going to die so that they can go free. I, I, I can't help, and some of you know that, that I love the story of Barabbas. Barabbas, he's, uh, you know, Jesus is, is he's on trial, and, and, and it's, it's the tradition that on a holy day, uh, the Pilate will come out and, and give them the choice uh, of letting one of the prisoners that, that they have Letting them go. And, and you, they've got the choice of, of either Jesus, who has done nothing wrong. He's, he's lived a sinless life. All he's done is heal people. He's made sick people able to, to walk that couldn't walk before. He's healed blind people. He's loved people. And then you've got Barabbas, a convicted murderer, standing up in front of all the Jewish people. And Pilate goes, which one? Jesus, the son of the living God, or Barabbas, a murderer, a killer. Now what do they say? 
What do they say? Everybody cries out, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. That's us, right? That's us. I, there's a, a video I like to watch, and um, the guy says this. He says, he says, God had to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. He says, there's no indication that Barabbas ever looked at Jesus and said, thank you for letting me go free. He just simply walked away, never looking at Jesus. That's all of us. That's all of us. That's me. That's me. And, and, and Jesus, looking at Barabbas, goes, that's somebody I want to die for right there. That's somebody that, that's worth dying for. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. He's given us a new nature. He's, he's taken out this, this stony heart and put in one that's soft and fleshy and, and different. A new nature is what happens. He says, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but... Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Now, he's, he's not talking about it any longer. He's not, he's not talking to believers. He's, he's talking to, to those that are controlled by the sinful nature, those that don't belong to Christ Jesus. And he said they're automatically drawn towards the things that displease God and not drawn to the things that please God because they don't have the Spirit. They're drawn in a different direction, still leaning towards the flesh. He says, those. He goes on to say, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace, for the sinful nature is hostile, always hostile to God. It doesn't obey God's laws, and it never will. He says, your sinful nature that, that pushes you towards the things that displease God, it leads to death. It's what we deserve. We, we said that before. We said that, that, that the wages of sin is death. It, it points towards death if you follow the flesh. It doesn't point towards life. Why is that? It's because God is life. And separation from God is death. Separation from God is eternal death. It's to be eternally separated from life. Think about this. Think about this. Given the choice, do you choose death or do you choose life? I think pretty much most everybody, I don't care if you're a Christian or not, you're going to say, man, give me life. I want to be alive. I want another breath. It, it, it's not that Christians are ever afraid of death necessarily. I had a friend of mine that said, I, I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid of getting dead. You know what I mean? So that's a little bit different, right? So how are you going to die? How are you going to go down? I don't want to get eaten by an alligator or anything like that. It's the getting dead part that I'm a little bit afraid of. And he says, I'm not afraid of death, but I am afraid of getting dead. Given the choice, people are always going to choose life over death, right? I mean, pretty much always. 
But why is it when it comes to choosing God versus the flesh, people continue to choose the flesh over God? They continue to choose the things that lead to death instead of the things that choose to lead to life. It's that constant battle. And, and those that, that don't belong to Christ Jesus are constantly pulled towards death. It says, that sinful nature. There, there's a, a big word in the King James Version, I think it is. It says, it's an enmity with God. Which just means that it's in opposition to God. It's going the other direction. Now, you say, you say to yourself, well, I, I've seen bad people do good stuff before. I've seen bad people. What's that all about, Kenny? I thought that if you're of the flesh and you don't belong to Christ Jesus and you don't have that new nature, so you're constantly pulled, uh, pulled towards the good things. What about the people that don't have that new nature? What about the people that don't have a relationship with God, don't belong to Christ Jesus? Why do they do good stuff every once in a while? It's not really good stuff. It may have the appearance of good, but it's not really good. The only way it can be good if it's done in order to glorify the Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that you, they see your good deeds. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. It, it may have the appearance of being good, but if, if it's not to glorify the Father who is in heaven, then it's not truly good. It may be moral without truly being good, right? We were in... Uh, when we were in Haiti, we saw a lot of moral people. Uh, we saw a lot of people that, that really didn't do bad stuff necessarily, but they didn't know God. They, they, didn't, they didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what they were doing, although it may be moral, it was not good because only good deeds point to Christ. When people see your life, when they see fruit in your life, love, joy, peace, Patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you have the fruit of the Spirit, is what that's called in Galatians. When you have that fruit in your life, it produces good works. It, it produces a new nature, and things look different for you. So my question is this. Do you have a new nature? Is there fruit in your life? Is there evidence that the Holy Spirit is there and that he's doing a work in you? That there's a transformation happening in you because of the work of the Holy Spirit's doing in you. Because he dwells within you so that he can push you towards that direction. Now, sometimes we get messed up. Sometimes, because we still have a flesh, we still get off track and we still get in the wrong direction. But as a whole, are you leaning towards the things of God? Are you leaning towards the things of God because you want your light to so shine before men that they see your good deeds and they glorify your Father who is in heaven? Do you pursue the things of God because you love God, want to be close to God, want to be near to God all the time? Is there, is there a desire in your life to, to please God because He is God? That's evidence of the Spirit of God living within you. That's evidence that you're sealed, that He's given you. The Holy Spirit that dwells within you. He says, that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you. Now he's talking to believers. People that belong to Christ Jesus. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You've been set free. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. 
And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. The resurrecting power of Jesus Christ lives inside of you if you belong to Christ Jesus. What is so interesting to me is that Christians don't lean into the Spirit. They they don't lean into His power and they don't recognize the fact that they've been set free from sin. They've been set free from that sinful nature and they have the ability to lean into the Spirit But it's almost like they don't think that the Spirit has the power to control. That it doesn't have the power to to help them in that walk in the Spirit. It's almost like they don't give Him credit enough for what He's capable to do in their life. It's almost like like they, they, they don't really, they think that He's there and He's doing something, but He's just really not enough for me to be able to go that direction towards the things that please God because the flesh is so powerful. Here's my question. If you believe the Spirit of God is what gave Jesus the power to resurrect him from the dead, if you believe the the power of the Spirit of God that lives within you will resurrect you from the dead, don't you think that that same power that lives within you has the ability to help you walk in the Spirit and walk towards the things of the Spirit and not in the things of the flesh? If you truly believe that you'll be resurrected one day, If you truly believe that you will live forever with God, don't you believe that that same power that has the ability to do that for you once you die will have the same ability to help you pursue the things that lead to life right now and not the things that lead to death? Why is it we short-side the Spirit? Why is it we don't have faith that the Spirit can help us walk in the things that please God? Why do we sell Him short all the time? Why don't we give the flesh too much credit and the spirit not enough credit? Paul says, that same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. It's almost like you can hear him whispering, now act like it. Now act like it. Let me pray. Father, thank you, God, not only for this word and the fact that your Holy Spirit, that he shows us things through your word, God, that he convicts us, Lord, that that he gives us us power, God, but thank you so much for the fact that your spirit leads to life, God, so many times we choose the things that lead to death, not realizing that the spirit who dwells within us has the power to point us towards the things that lead to life, so Lord, thank you for that spirit. Thank you for the power of God that dwells within us, that resurrecting power of God that lives in each and every believer that belongs to Christ Jesus because there is no condemnation for those that believe in Christ Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, for the the believer here that may be struggling, God, battling against the sinful nature. I pray that they'd see that they've been set free. They would recognize the fact that, that they no longer belong to the sinful nature, God, but they have a new nature a brand new heart, and a a brand new spirit that dwells within them. And God, you tell us, you tell us, Lord, that salvation is about rebirth. Not rebirth of the flesh, but rebirth of the spirit. 
God, help us to recognize that. God, that we have a new spirit. We have a new life-giving spirit. God, may we dwell in that and live in that and rest in that peace. God, I pray that we wouldn't feel so controlled, God, by the flesh. Help us to recognize the power of the spirit. God, and then for the person that's here, maybe they don't have a relationship with you and they know just by the first verse in chapter 8, God, that they don't belong to Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that your spirit, though he may not dwell within them, God, I know that your spirit has the ability to impress upon their heart their need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and the fact that you love them, Father, that you love them and you desire a relationship with them and, God, that you want your spirit to dwell within them. We know that your spirit has convicting power. God, desiring to come into their life. God, desiring to change them and sanctify them and make them new. To give them rebirth in their spirit. God, if there's anybody like that in this place, God, please, please, God, draw them to your cross. Lead them right to the foot of your cross so that they might be saved, so they might belong to Christ Jesus. God, you know that there are hurting people in this place. God, may they lean into your spirit. God, that you know that there are lost people in this place. May they respond to your spirit. God, we love you. We thank you, God, for this Holy Spirit and how you've revealed yourself to us. God, how, how he is real and he is present. And he is calling us. God, and he's, he's given us an open invitation to lean into him. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand?